Dotnet Rocks episode 935 with guest Mads Torgerson, recorded live at the NDC in London, Wednesday, December 4th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here in London, London, England, at the NDC. Yes, it's the Norwegian Developers Conference in London. They try to call it the New Developers Conference. I think we should call it the New London Developers Conference. You like that. Yeah, well. We're in the Docklands, which is a new part of London, too. It's probably the closest you can get to the east side of London with actually being in London. Yeah, but it has parking spaces and sort of clear views and stuff. It's not the crowded, tightly packed London you're used to. It's really kind of odd over here. It is odd. And the the river's right there. Yeah. We're we're fairly removed from things. you got to take an above-ground train to get to the tube. However, it is an awesome facility. Yeah, love it. The XL. Yeah, the XL's great. It's awesome. All right, well, enough of that. Let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, what do you got? It's been a while since I looked at CodePlex to see what the number one... Oh, really? What a great idea. The number one, uh, the most popular project at CodePlex right now is Python Tools for Visual Studio. What? I'm serious. P-T-V-S, pytools.codeplex.com, is a free open source plugin that turns Visual Studio into a Python IDE. That is awesome. It supports C Python, Iron Python, editing, browsing, IntelliSense, mixed Python and C++, debugging, remote Linux and Mac OS debugging, profiling, IPython, Django, and cloud computing with client libraries for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Designed, developed, and supported by Microsoft and the community. And it is the number one download at 62,699 as of this recording. Wow. That's interesting. So that's actually a Microsoft project just put in Coplex. That is awesome, huh? And it's, you know, four and a half stars average rating. Exciting stuff. Yeah. But I've, I've talked to a few folks that said that Python's a great starter language, too. Like, it's, it's an interesting place to start coding. If you're just in terms of working completely dynamically, somebody new to programming. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those languages. Oh, I, all right. I haven't spent any time. Yeah, I myself. haven't either, so yeah. I don't know. I'm not qualified to comment. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but there you go. I thought right. that was cool. That's and it's really uh, neat. yeah, like I say, it's the number one. So check it out. You might want to look, see what it's all about. Absolutely. Pytools.codeplex.com. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show nine twenty five, and that is the one we did with Rachel Reese. While we were at Ordev in Sweden. That was a fun show. Yeah, we're talking about F-sharp and all this good stuff. And this comment is from John Watt, who said, uh, Guys, I love the show. I first came across Erlang at a talk given by none other than Brian Hunter in 2012. It wasn't applicable to my job, so it sat in the back of my mind. Lately, I've begun looking at it again. And when Carl called the actor model a, quote, microservice, I went, yes, that's exactly what I said to myself. And I started to understand it. And the nature of all these small services is built-in scalability. 
I find it fascinating how many goodies F-sharp has grabbed from other languages, including the actor model, and I also think it illustrates why it's so great that .NET Rocks often does a show on non-.NET technology. Even if we never use the technology, many of the ideas presented in other paradigms often help us see the problems in different ways. They keep it up. Right. And it also reminded me, like, look at how much C-sharp's been affected by functional programming, that we're sure. starting to program functionally in C-sharp because it's actually a good approach. It doesn't demand it, but, you know, these different techniques come about because we have these other tools to experiment with. So, John, thanks so much for your comment. I know you recently commented on the Tablet Show as well and met, scored yourself a Tablet Show mug. Now you got a .NET Rocks mug as well. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. And those apps are built by Diatime Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatimeEnterprises.com. And that brings us to our esteemed guest, Mads Torgerson, is the program manager, the program manager for the C-Sharp language at Microsoft and runs the C-Sharp design meetings also. Prior to joining Microsoft in 2005, he was an associate professor at the University of Aarhus. That's pretty good, yes. Hey, not bad, doing programming language research. Welcome, Mads. Thank it's you very much. Pleasure, pleasure to have you on our pleasure silly little show. <laughs> <laughs> all right a serious language guy and we had all language stuff to start yeah sure. yeah you had a th those were very interesting actually i think those two uh different threads come together very interestingly the um the python tools actually i have about once a week or so i, I have lunch with the the main developer on the uh python Isn't tools cool. oh really um it's actually it's an amazing project because visual studio is a great ide and yeah. and a lot of Python people who are, you know, traditionally not the most Microsoft-friendly are starting to express, well, that's actually the best IDE for Python development of any kind. Wow. And, so cool. And, um, and it, you know, it's free. Uh, so, uh, so we're seeing a lot of, of uptake on that account. Yeah. And that, so it's one of those uh, non.NET technologies that would be a, a great <laughs> topic for a future show, just saying. Yeah, without just a doubt. Just saying. We, I think there's a whole show waiting there. there you know, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge from Mads. I love there. that. We uh, first ran across Don Syme when he was doing these MSR research papers uh, on the pre-F-sharp before it was really anything. It was still just a research project. And he, one of the points he was making was that incorporating it in the studio just took away a lot of work with experimenting with language. It, it gave you a development environment. Yes. You didn't have to do anything else because they, they were trying different languages and then they'd also have to build a dev environment each time. And it just took a lot of time. So getting away from all of that, using Studio for it, just opened up huge doors. And, of course, the consequence is it stopped being a research project. Yeah? Right. It's now yeah. in the box, which is amazing. And it, I think it's had really long-reaching, long, uh, big impact on all of us as developers. I think so. Yeah, F-Sharp, uh, first of all, F-Sharp itself has taken off tremendously. I, th I would say within the past year and a half, particularly, it's sort of... The, the ecosystem has gone from being, at least it's been, it's been possible to la label it as esoteric or kind of corner or right. elitist or whatever. It's really taking off now. And it's taking off in a cross-platform way, which is an, a very interesting development. Like it's become less Microsoft and more F-sharp for everybody. So it runs great on Xamarin platforms, yeah. Mono. Um, and, um, 
and it's just really taken off all by itself. You, you see, really you're seeing it run in different places. I've got websites out there that are doing back-end processing with F-Sharp. You're seeing it run on certain clients. Like, it is getting around. It's really finding its, its niche in, in the right sort of way where it's being used everywhere and not just as some sort of Microsoft secret sauce or something. Right. Which is, it's very, way too limiting for a language like that. But, of course, as you're hinting, it also... It's had a lot of influence. The functional programming in general has yes. had a lot of influence on languages like C-sharp. But mm -hmm. I think we look in particular to F-sharp for inspiration. They kind of they go ahead with, yeah. with some fun stuff. And some of it will not really fit into the C-sharp or Visual Basic kind of mold. But some of it really inspires us. Um, async being one example. Oh, sure. um, async programming as a language feature was really pioneered by F-sharp. And we ended up doing it slightly differently in C-sharp and VB, but we wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to make the right choices if it hadn't been out there in F-sharp first and Pioneer. So it really has a huge impact on us, and it's a very valuable thing for a lot of people who never even touch F-sharp directly. So you're saying that async await sort of magic came out of F-sharp? The idea of supporting asynchrony as a language feature came from F-sharp. Hmm. We had to do it differently. There, right. there are some things in F-sharp that are particular to the language yeah. they have what they call computation expressions which are a very general feature that they use to provide async and mm. and that's not a good fit for for c sharp or vb so we so we had to do it differently and i think we ended up in a nice place yeah. um and the two different approaches actually work well together so you can mm. easily bridge from one to the other if you're if you're doing mixed sure language programming um but we learned a lot from the F-Sharp experience. A lot of things carry over. And where, where did Lambdas come from? I mean, what language, you know? Ooh, Lambdas come from Lisp back in the 50s. Okay. Or actually, you know, they come from the Lambda calculus back in the 30s before they were computers. Right. So so that was a no-brainer. Uh, put that into C-Sharp. I don't know if it was a no-brainer. Um, I mean, what I mean was that it was on the list. It's been on the list for a while then before it made it into C-Sharp, maybe. Yeah, I guess you can say that um, it, it's very much a thing that lived in functional languages yeah. and and nowhere else um, yeah. until you started seeing these hybrid languages uh, bring them in, such as um, Scala, for instance, brought in Lambdas very early on as mm. sort of a, a hybrid object uh, functional language. Mm. And it became clear that, I mean, C-sharp, already C-sharp 2 had a syntax for anonymous functions. Right. It was just sort of cumbersome, anonymous methods, as they're called. And so we just made even, another one that was more... Because even JavaScript has, you know, the availability to just define a function out of the blue and pass parameters into it, and there you go. I yes. mean, that's essentially a lambda, isn't it? JavaScript, in, in some ways, is an incredibly functional language. Yeah. It has that... Uh, it's sort of essentially made out of lambdas, if you will, of right. function expressions, even when you define a name function in JavaScript, that's really just mostly syntactic shorthand for um, creating a field and pointing it to a lambda. Yeah. Right. So, and they have, they have a lot of things right around that in, in JavaScript. They have, um, they have closure so that anything inside of a, the scope of, of a function can, can reference the, um, the parameters and locals of that function freely, right. and then it can escape the function and live live after the function is done right. executing, and still reference those values forevermore and change them and have you know cause effects between which can be 
little scary if you're not sure what it's doing. It can, but it's a great way of encapsulating yeah. functionality. That is essentially a trick from functional languages. Yeah. Do you see C Sharp as a hybrid language now as well? I mean, you've got a lot of functional characteristics to it. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize it as a hybrid language. Mm -hmm. If you really wanted a hybrid, a successful hybrid language, you can really just roll up your sleeves and do either object-oriented or functional programming just like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think we're there with C Sharp, and I don't think we're getting there. Yeah, I guess the question is, where do you want to take C Sharp? Like in some right. ways, I feel like C Sharp is mature, and now you, you know, is there things to really add? Um, there are things to add, and mm -hmm. we're working on the next version of C Sharp. We're working on, on a bunch of smaller features. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've done a lot of like every single C Sharp release so far has had a very big feature in it. So there was generics in two, yep. link in three, dynamic in four, async in five, and I think this will be the first release where we don't have a big feature that's sort of earth shattering and trying to like push something really new out there. Does, do you not consider Rosalind a feature of C Sharp? Because I think it'd be, I think it's pretty earth shattering. It, that that it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it's not like a language feature. Right. So, so what so what you can say is that we're feature. we're doing our earth shattering and at a different level a of different abstraction. Place. So <laughs> sure. uh -huh. we um we definitely intend to shatter a lot of earth with Rosalind. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know how much you've talked about Rosalind on this program before, but Project Rosalind is essentially uh, us rewriting the C Sharp and VB compilers and IDEs from scratch wow. in their own languages this time, not in C++, hmm. in such a way that we can offer them as APIs, full fidelity APIs that give a you know a complete fine-grained, immutable, functional style kind of view of of source code as a as a model and let you manipulate that and and do analysis of it yourself and so on. So we we want to offer that API to everybody who wants to tinker with the language. Instead of being a black box that only we can use, right. everybody can build on that API. And just to make sure that it's that the API is efficient and complete enough, we build all our own features on top of it as well. We have no secret pipeline from the IDE, for instance, down into the compiler like we do today. It's like all built on public API. It's all completely visible. Yeah. Is, and it, that, is it really VBA for .NET? VBA? Whoa. Visual Basic for Applications? <laughs> you, you, you're talking about Script Sharp, maybe, as well, an that, implementation. I mean, that's another implementation. But well, the, so, the same way that when COM got to a certain level of maturity and they took a version of VB and built it into to Office and other places that you were just able, you know, the ultimate macro language at the time. Now we get this compiler as a service model sort of leans itself to the same sort of thing, just even more broadly. It does, in a sense, yes. So scripting is definitely a scenario that Rosslyn can address. Sure. Um, and we hope to be able to provide some uh, scripting-specific APIs that make that easy. Um, and we've previously shown prototypes of, um, of a REPL, um, a redevelop print loop, uh, where you can type in C-sharp or Visual Basic code um, and have it evaluated as you go. Um, right. And actually, it'll, it's sort of a super REPL because it'll have all the all the IDE features with um, not just syntax highlighting, but previews and refactoring. You, you can build a lot of the IDE logic into a REPL as well. Can you, can you effectively write an app that continues to write itself and, um, and append its own 
uh, logic and code onto itself? Yes, you could. Um, that sounds a little dangerous. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> but, of I course mean, but I mean, you know, that's essentially what we do. With, you know, with with our brains and our, you know, when we when we learn, we essentially build neural pathways and build logic and right. Yes. I mean. Yeah. No, I th I think you can definitely imagine versions of that. I think if you if you go a little broader, there's a whole notion of metaprogramming, right? Sure. Programs that, that right program. Programs. Yeah. Um, and um, and that is definitely a is, that's a scenario for something like Rosling. Like mm. the, the first thing you need is a you need a a model for building programs with programs, and and uh, once you have that, you can definitely. You know, if you look at metaprogramming in the small, you can think of something like just building your own refactoring. It's just it takes a piece of code and transforms it in a systematic way to another piece of code and and subs that in. But you can definitely imagine going to arbitrarily crazy levels. And I I fully suspect that once Roslyn is released onto the world, there'll, there'll be, be some serious crazy people out there yeah. going absolutely crazy in ways that you probably shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But you know, you give somebody a power tool. Um, yeah, you're right. That's, that's the Microsoft saying. There will be casualties. It's your it's foot. It's your foot. It's your <laughs> foot, yes. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. But we yeah. really hope that people yeah. will build some cool tools on top of this, you know, a, sort of a, a democratized or opened up language understanding um, hmm. and generation. Yeah, uh, just see what, and see what they do with it. So yeah. what, what was the goal? Um, let, me, let me say this. What was the killer app in mind for Roslyn? Well, yeah. There were a few things. I think um, so. so a, a bunch of concrete things is to make you know make it easier to build new IDE or analysis features, make it easier to do this or that. But I think at the meta level, when I think back on it, I mean we we've been doing the Rosslyn project for five years now, and we're only sort of just about done now. Mm -hmm. um, we were really sort of backed into a corner where our agility for for future movement. Um, in the language evolution space, in the tooling space, mm -hmm. in the third-party extension space, in the metaprogramming space, uh, was severely limited by the infrastructure that we had to build on. And we just, we felt the cost every time. And we had at some point to say, we have to make this big investment to get our agility back and to have an infrastructure that works for us and for third parties for, yeah. you know, at least a decade, hopefully more. Yeah. So the killer was really like, getting ourselves out of stasis or out of a very costly... So it was definitely a, something that you wanted to use internally. Absolutely. To, to make your job the building compilers and IDEs and things easier. Yes. Yes. So we had a strong desire for ourselves to use it. Um, you know, it's always, it's always dangerous to embark on something like that where yeah. you It's were, a great rewrite, right? And you, everybody... Developers always want to do a rewrite. Yes, and often yeah. for I think for bad reasons, <laughs> you know, for selfish just, reasons. I, I just, anyway, I just yeah. I want to I want a chance to do it again and do it right this time. Yeah, yeah. That this is, time I'm gonna. That I think is why it took us so long to get started on right. it. Because when I joined Microsoft eight years ago, it had already you know it was already an old thing going around. We should really redo this. It's too you know we still have that old temporary C plus uh, plus code base that we mm -hmm. keep sprouting on, and it's ugly and bad and. And but there's just never a right time to to start cleaning up. It's sort of an innovator's dilemma kind of thing yeah, where the, there's never the right time to start because it's such an investment. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes people start anyway, but they don't have sufficient. It turns out they won't get sufficient value out of it. Yeah. I think 
Because you're, you're talking about an expensive, sort of dangerous proposition. The chance of failure is not zero. It is. Here. Yeah, and, it's high. And it has to have a fairly significant return to pay for that right. cost. And so I think the, the trick for us was to understand how to do it in such a way that the benefit would would accrue well beyond our, our own ranks. Right. Um, to other parts of Microsoft, to partners, and uh, in general, third parties outside of Microsoft. But, it, I mean, it's been long enough now that I think people are worried that Rosin's never going to actually surface. Yeah, you, I've heard you're, that. You're sort of like fusion power. <laughs> you're just a couple of years away. I heard that. Um, so, <laughs> so, so let me speak to that a little bit. I know Because I know so, you're working on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. So, so let me tell you as best I can where we're at with Rosalind. So, sure. The last public CTP is more than a year ago, and, right? And we didn't even have support for the full set of language features at the time. I will say so. We will get back to public CTPs um, in a relatively near future, I can mm -hmm. say. And what's the situation right now is that a there is no other VB and C sharp team than the Rosling team. Like, right. We we've completely merged back. We're only working on the Rosling code base now. Mm -hmm. um, we, whenever we have to go back, I mean, we just shipped VS 2013. It has right. the old code base. And whenever we have to go and fix something for updates or whatever, we will do it. Right. But everyone is working on the new code base. Right. B, the toolset compiler that Microsoft uses internally is now the Roslyn-based compiler. So, okay. so, so as of, since we shipped VS 2013, we're all eating our own dog food right. um, wow. inside of Visual Studio. And and broadening out to a, a bigger and bigger subset of Microsoft. Visual Studio 2013 uses the Roslyn compiler. No, the next Is that one. What you said it does not. Since we shipped it, we've shifted over oh, to our since, internal since processes. Right. Um, now there is actually a little bit of Roslyn in VS 2013. Okay. The um, the uh, code lens feature in there is actually built on, a, on an early version of Roslyn, um, but it's not exposed in any way. It doesn't to... surprise me because code lens is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. And Glad it's got like that it. recursive characteristic to it, right? That it, it needs to call into itself to, to actually right. expose all that information. Right. So, um, so we kind of sneaked a little bit of Roslyn in there. But other than that, it's, it's for a future release. Right. Good enough. And we don't, we don't have dates yet. I'm not going to try and... So even to ask you, Good, not really you. dead. <laughs> Feeling much better. <laughs> but it sounds like you're committed to it's next. It is. Yeah. It, it's well. The next. I can't say it's in VS V next because I don't know when that ships. Right. Yeah. Um. So there may or may not be another release of VS that has the old compilers in there. Mm. I can say that the next version of C sharp and VB, mm -hmm. like with new language features will only be on when we also have Roslyn. Like, so eventually the term Roslyn goes away. It just becomes yes. C-sharp. Yes. We will try to, once it's out there, we'll try to stamp out the term Roslyn probably because it, it shouldn't mean this other C-sharp or VB thing. It, it is just the VB and C-sharp thing. Right. So tell us what what is it going to look like using Roslyn as a C-sharp or a VB developer? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, so... So Rosalind is a couple of different things, which yeah. is part of the danger of using a project name for a product. Because if you're just using the C-sharp IDE, it's just going to look like it always did except cooler. Like you're going to have feature, you're going to have more refactorings and, and more beautiful previews and, and better navigation and things are going to be more slick and more efficient. But to emit code, let's say. So to use the Rosalind APIs, yeah. um, that is 
that's just um, it's just an API. You bring it in with NuGet or whatever, mm -hmm. um, whichever way we, right. we publish it. Mm -hmm. um, you you point it at some code um, and a CS file, let's say, or a VS yeah, file. file, or you or you you plug into the VS infrastructure. Yeah, plug into the VS infrastructure as a as a plugin, and mm -hmm. and you and you just use the VS to get at the sure. um, at the projects in there. And then it'll present you with a nice uh, immutable syntax tree of the source code you're looking at, mm. which has complete fidelity. Like you can get down to every single comma mm. in the source code, exactly where it's placed and so on. Wow. You can do transforms on that to other syntax trees and, and sort of keep all the formatting from the old one, spew it to other source files if you mm. want. Mm. You can ask for semantic information, all kinds of analysis about binding and, and uh, data flow and stuff like that. Is it compiler specific, or in other words, is it C sharp VB only, or is it going to extend to other CLR languages? So that was one of the big decisions up front that we had to make, and um, we decided that it is language specific. There's even there's a Roslyn for C sharp, and there's one for VB. Um, they do share some infrastructure so that you can um, like at the bottom you'll have things like metadata reading that's a shared component. Um, at the top you will have abstractions that go across. So if you want to uh, navigate, you know, find all references kind of navigation in, at the Visual Studio level, you'll get both C-sharp and VB references okay. represented in there uh, from different projects. But, um, but the bulk of it is language-specific. F-sharp? F-sharp, no. Um, F-sharp was already... It's another place where F-sharp was ahead of us. And you know, F-sharp is already written in F-sharp. Um, nice. So they kind of have a cool infrastructure already. I think, I mean, we we came up with a lot of nifty things uh, as we built Roslyn. And I think we're gradually, wherever it makes sense, we're applying those elsewhere, the learnings elsewhere in Microsoft. So it's not so much sharing of code, or it's not a sharing of code, but we will, um, but we're learning from the Roslyn experience. I think F-Sharp is learning things there. I know definitely that uh, TypeScript has learned a lot from, from Roslyn. Sure. As, as that got built, um, we even had some people move over and, and help out with the with the uh, TypeScript compiler and language services. But ultimately, C Sharp, VB, .NET, F Sharp, you're all it's all compiling to IL. Yes. So isn't it all the same anyway? Like, why would you need separate compilers for each one? Well, because you want to at least we want to present the sort of language level fidelity. So the languages are different on top, and then they compile down to the same substrate at right. the other end. And we are, there are already tools around for for grog and IL and manipulating yes. in various ways. But um, we want you to be able to be completely, to have complete fidelity to the specific syntax and semantics and idioms and everything you want to uh, you want to take into consideration when looking at, for instance, a C sharp source code file. And that can only happen if you're language specific. So uh, let me take it the other way then. Why do VB.NET as well as C-Sharp? Why not just do C-Sharp? Because VB.NET is a very widespread language that's used by millions of people. I, I'm with you, but, and I'm not saying take it away, but you know, just like we're not taking F-Sharp away, but why need to implement Roslyn for both? You, are you now building VB.NET in VB.NET? Yes, we are. Okay, and you're building C-Sharp and C-Sharp. So it seems like you've added a lot of workload yes. to get the first one out. Now, that is true. Um, it's not a 2x, though. And that goes for Roslyn, 
in, for the Russian project initially, it also goes going forward. We already have this kind of philosophy that we call co-evolution. Right. That everything we do in the C-sharp language, we want to do in the VB language and vice versa. Uh, at least any big thing that makes sense across both. Right. And, um, and it kind of made sense since the two languages are so similar yes. to, to get them on the same, on similar infrastructures, even though they're separate. They have exactly the same architecture. They're very you know, mirror images at most mm -hmm. most levels. The two implementations, except one being in VB and one being in C sharp. Right. And so it gives us a great foundation for going forward for doing things simultaneously for both languages as well. Sure. Okay. Um, so it kind of made sense to do them both at the same time. In a sense, um, it brings down the cost of that co-evolution creed right. for us radically. And every time we come up with a new feature, like um, we're thinking, so a new feature we're thinking about is primary constructors um, in C sharp and VB. And we can, we can design that feature for both languages, but when, but the same person can go and implement it in both. What does it mean to be a primary constructor? So primary constructors is where you can specify constructor parameters directly on the class header. Right. And they're sort of in scope for initialization and stuff like okay. that. Okay. Other languages like F sharp, for instance, have that <laughs> have that already. But so again, a battle going on between you guys and Don Syme here. Is that what this is? No, it's not really a battle because he's he's always ahead of us, right? He, he's very he did F sharp did pick up a few things like link and so on yes. from C sharp, but mostly it flows the other way. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, he he's still at MSR, right? I mean, in theory, they they are yeah. researching. Although it seems like he floats between that and being working with the product group to actually make this into a, a product in the box. Well, one of the cool things about MSR is that they're very good at working with product groups. Don Simon and others, um, I worked with several people in MSR. I participated in writing scientific papers. Mm -hmm. um, they, they contributed to the product in various ways. Um, it's a really good collaboration, sort of grassroots person-to-person -person collaboration. It's not so much that someone on top comes and says, thou shalt collaborate. It, it's very much a helping each other out at the grassroots level. That's, yeah, and, I, and you, everybody's on the same team. We all have the same goal of actually building good so helping people build good software. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a great we, goal. We on the product side, we have an interest in our products being, being correct mm -hmm. and not having obvious stupid mistakes in them yes. and stuff like that. So we really like having the researchers look at things from a systematic and principled point of view. Right. And they want to work on stuff that's relevant to people. Right? Yeah. They don't want to be off in some ivory tower somewhere. Yeah, five people have seen what you've done here, and that's it. Exactly. You know, so the... so we uh, we have a fruitful two-way relationship there. That's awesome. Really great. Actually, I'm I'm going up tomorrow to visit MSR in Cambridge. Yeah, and, and so that's the time in Cambridge. Don was down here this morning, actually, came, dropped it by and said hi. Yeah. And yeah. mentioned you. Oh, he mentioned <laughs> Yeah, apparently you were supposed to be there yesterday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did he tell the story on, yes, on the air? He didn't uh, tell it on the air. We didn't. Re we didn't make an interview with. Okay. Him. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did pop in to say hi. He's been on the show a few times. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I went and saw his talk. Just hey, Richard. You know what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time That's again. That's right. It's time to write a function that passes a function to a function to an array of functions that passes a function back to a function. <laughs> and if you can follow that, no, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won. Uh, let me tell you about Telerik Icinium, which lets you develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript, all from within Visual Studio. 
And the capabilities here include comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, as well as integrated testing and deployment capabilities. All this makes Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. So start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash dnr. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash dnr. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner, Bob? Today's winner is Ryan Adams. Not the Ryan Adams you're thinking of, but Ryan Adams from Fishers, Indiana. Congratulations, Ryan. Yeah. Just for being a member of the fan club. Uh, and uh, he gets a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's just about everything they do in one box, $2,000 value. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away stuff. Every year in December. Yep, one week ago today. One week ago today, we gave away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member in uh, Andy, Smith. Andy Smith, yeah. and we gave him a great big PC with a whole bunch yeah, of stuff. The, the optim a, a tablet development environment, Just all the like stuff the you need. Just like the last guy. Well, a little bit different. He wasn't so much interested in the Kinect side of things yeah. and stuff. He, what he really wanted was a portable development environment for building tablet apps. So yeah. we hooked him up. We hooked him up. Yeah. So it's awesome. That's what you get for just listening and hanging out. Being part of the being part of the, the team. Yeah. So we like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000, just somebody handed you a check, but you had to spend it on toys, technology, what would you buy, Mads? Something for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. How, Good how answer. are your kids now? I have them in a range from nine to seventeen. Oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty probably pretty gadget demanding. Yeah, so there would be some uh, upgrades to their phones, and there would be an Xbox One in there for sure. Um, yeah, but I'm not even close to. That would be a lot of games to throw. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. not enough games on Xbox One available at this point to actually spend five grand. To actually hit the five grand. Yeah. Um, Are they into the MakerBot, the 3D printing stuff? Or uh, is that they might. I mean, if I had to spend the 5K, that might be fine. Yeah. 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 Well, Maker bought a foot, such about, about 2000 but, you Works know, great you, with a Surface Pro. If you buy one yeah. of every type of the material, you come to about three grand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just, uh, we were looking at it together at the Microsoft store the other day in, yeah. in Bellevue, Washington. So. Yeah. And the, yeah, the, the Pro kind of cool. with the pen to do 3D, you do your 3D modeling on. Yeah. It's got built-in drivers for a MakerBot. You make you, you'd have strange plastic objects all over your house. Yeah, That's well, fun. you got me convinced. Uh, where's my five grand? <laughs> <laughs> we need to get you in the club. Maybe you'll win next year. Yeah. Okay, Love I'll, to give away a 3D printing yeah, system. Yeah, I should go join. That, that would, would be, be awesome. That would be fun. I, I really want to jump back into this because you know we, we keep speculating about what people are going to do with Rosalind. Are there particular projects? What are you planning to do with Ro Rosalind when it is just C-sharp and part of it? As part of the product. Uh, well, me personally, I, so there are a few things I would do. First of all, I would just make use of the fact that Rustlin is such a great infrastructure to implement language features on right. that um, we would get some more of those. So C Sharp 6, I will, I will do my part to add a bunch of language features to it. And so it to just the, lowers the bar to adding language features. It does for us, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this idea that we can now, we can now sort of catch up on smaller features or at least start catching up on smaller features that we wanted to do but never got to because it was too hard. Um, that's something I can do as the 
language PM for C sharp <laughs> and and the um, and you know the same thing happening in, in Visual Basic in right. parallel. Um, now that's just me. Uh, if if I were to actually work on do some work on top of the Roslyn APIs, I would play with um, the diagnostics infrastructure that we are adding. We're kind of if you think about um, FX cop on steroids, right? Uh, huh. You, you kind of want to. It w wouldn't it be nice if the kind if your the, the the deficiencies or oddities in your code that you were interested in, right? Maybe associated with a specific API that needs to be used in a certain way. If those were not just checked for in an automated way, but in an interactive way, so you would get live squiggles, you could have the you know the build break when you did something wrong or whatever. As you were actually typing, so giving more of first class, a more experience. intelligent compiler. In other words, sort of like a something that's going to suggest, hey, you did this, but you should maybe think about doing yes. that. Both in terms of general language things like warnings today in the compiler, but also mm -hmm. in a pluggable way. Where so I could sit down and say, you know, I really always want to use var wherever I can. Can I write a little thing that will find where I use as an an explicit type and I could use var? And it can squiggle it, and it can suggest to me the fix. Oh, and I can okay. just hit a light bulb and get it fixed and stuff like that. All in real time. Mm -hmm. right? um, so that's part of the Roslyn enhanced tooling experience. And everybody can plug into an infrastructure. So like we, can, we can write Visual Studio plugins using Roslyn and go to town, is yes. what you're saying. Yes. And that's There's going to be quite a market for that. I would, I would play with that because I think that's, that's got a lot of potential. Mm. Um, uh, probably potential for abuse as well. Yeah. Um, Any good feature is abusable. So the definition of a good feature. It gave you enough rope. That's right. probably true. Right. If it didn't, if you didn't, if it was safe, then yeah. it, it wouldn't be enough rope to do any of these cool things. Sure. Right. But imagine this: when you write an API and share it out, mm -hmm. maybe it comes with some rules that'll help you use the API in yes. the right way and help and prevent you from using it in the wrong way. And that's just an integrated part of the experience of your of the consumers of your API. That's kind of a neat idea. Well, let's talk, talk about opinionated APIs. Like there, there is a one right way, and we want you to use it this way, and you're going to struggle to fight against it in any other way. Right. And it, it tends to keep things very focused and simple. You can almost think of it as an extension of the type system in a way where, you know, we can't have general type support in the language for everything, right. but you can think of specific kind of restrictions in certain domains. Well, it's, it sort of begs the idea of when we get into these bigger enterprises that are that want a managed uh, development environment, like being able to press against your developers with accessing certain resources and and how they go about things. Yes, pretty much in real time. Yeah, you can really have a big brother kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> when everybody can build plugins, everybody's going to build plugins. We have met Big Brother, and he is us. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a little spooky. You, you talk about type systems. I guess it does leave an opening for the whole TypeScript story. Yes. Why are you guys paying attention to the web? I thought the world was C sharp. <laughs> you know, uh, we want C sharp on the web, though. That's what we really. There are uh, C sharp on the web. It's been tried. Yeah. Um, but. You know, HTML is and, and JavaScript, that's a really important um, platform for many to target. Mm -hmm. So is JavaScript on the server nowadays with Node.js. Yes. And actually, JavaScript on Windows as well now, yeah. right? So, Win.js. Um, it's, it's obvious that JavaScript is the right thing to target for a lot of people, especially if they want really broad reach. Um, 
uh, JavaScript sucks in various ways, um, and TypeScript can be a little bit of a, a help there. Um, TypeScript, as the name says, puts types on top of JavaScript, optional. You can do as much as you want, gradual typing. Um, but when you do, the tooling experience really lights up, because if you think about it, things like um, navigation, um, auto-completion, IntelliSense, right. um, refactoring, they all feed off of types. Mm -hmm. And when you have a language without types in it, um, those things become very kind of um, uh, dodgy, right? They right. may work. That's a nice way to put it. They may work <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. To some degree of. Well, they either list. They don't list the things you need, or they list tons and tons of things you can't find the things you need. Exactly. Yeah. So, so getting that uh, tooling experience bag is really that's really the goal of putting types on top of JavaScript for us. That's a primary goal. Right. Yes, you will also find some errors, and and actually. Um, you know, for instance, uh, Brian Harry uh, blogged that in every single file that uh, the, T the TFS converted from JavaScript to TypeScript, mm -hmm. even though it was, you know, really well-tested code that was already out there running, every single file they found some bugs just doing the conversion. Wow. Um, so, so that really matters too, yeah. right? And and finally, actually, I think given the modern JavaScript execution engines, there might be the potential for a little bit of a of a performance benefit uh, there because TypeScript also generates a JavaScript code from you can write classes and stuff like that. Yeah. And the code it uh, it generates is really idiomatic, good JavaScript. Right. And those execution engines really optimize for good JavaScript, so it kind of helps you stay within their sweet spot. Right. Where yeah. they they can better optimize your code. Yeah. One of the one of the pernicious things about JavaScript is that when it fails, it doesn't fail loudly. It fails quietly. Right. You know, it just continues to run as much as it can until it stops. That, and then you yeah. have to have to actually press F12 to see what happens. Right. Yeah. yeah, you often get an error or strange behavior in a completely different place than where yeah. the problem actually yeah, was. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so I don't want to overdo it. I mean, it's still JavaScript underneath. Um, with good and bad things. Uh, the nice thing about just putting a thin veneer of types on it instead of like another language compiling to JavaScript is that it really lets us, lets everyone plug into that vast ecosystem that's already there. Tons of very popular uh, JavaScript uh, APIs and yeah, frameworks out there. It doesn't preclude you from using any of those libraries. It doesn't. And in fact, the way it works, you can provide type descriptors separately from those libraries for those libraries. Right. Yeah. And there are repositories out there yeah. that Microsoft didn't even start. That that you know, other people in the community are are submitting uh, type descriptions of popular JavaScript libraries, so that if you want to consume them from TypeScript, you get all this strong typing. It not only allows you, but it gets this strong typing effect. So, so is yeah. that is that required? You can you can't just take any old JavaScript library and use it with TypeScript. You have to have a sort of a not required shame. at all. No, it's not required. Not required at all. It's um, it's gradual typing. Okay. If the if the the types are there, we'll use them. If it's untyped, uh, we'll fall back to dynamic behavior and we'll right. just, um, but you'll just uh, be able to. Shoot yourself in the same foot yeah, again. Sure. Yes, okay. no? but, you know, the, uh, but when you do have them, then you have this enforcement that helps you understand yeah. where the problems lie. Yes. Yeah. Like it's, and nothing more frustrating than it, putting in a JavaScript API, starting to write some code, and getting an error somewhere in the API code. Right. And it, maybe it's your fault because you're calling or manipulating it wrong, or maybe it's their fault. You just don't know. This seems to help you. 
you know, it definitely helps clarify the contract. Sure. At least you know you're calling it right. Yes. If everybody's got a contract. Yes. Yeah. I guess there there are some things that are nice about not having types as well. You know, there there are some things about it that I like. There are definite. So there are a number of patterns that are used in JavaScript. Uh, you know. Some of them probably not even that dangerous. <laughs> mm, <yeah. laughs> uh, that are that are really nifty. That depend heavily on it being um, dynamically Dynamic, typed. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes you want to step out of the type system and then maybe come back in. Yeah. Yeah, those are few things, though. They're they're very few. Yeah, they I are think. exception cases. They are. I've always felt that same same way about like just in time compilation, which we do every time in .NET, but is actually applicable in. 0.1% of cases, like it, where it's actually an advantage. You have some app that, that takes advantage of differences in hardware. That's incredibly rare. And we've always had right. this capability, which is just not used. You know, most people ran it the first time you ever ran into any significance legit was when you accidentally ran your compile as any app on a 64 bit machine and it failed. Right. You know, it's like, well, welcome to JET. <laughs> I think, I guess the uh, just in time is used also for uh, runtime, when you do runtime code generation. Yeah. Um, it's not so much that you want to do it just in time. It's that you need to do it after the code was written, which right. is during the program execution. So yes. there, yeah. <laughs> late, late <laughs> sure. in the path. But that is so. an exception case kind of programming. I think it's very challenging for us to figure out what are people going to use all the time? How do we create yeah. this sort of pit of success you could fall into? I, don't, I, don't, I know I have, any, I have nothing bad to say about Chip per se. You know, it is what it is. It's been around a long time. But it's interesting to see the thinking now as we're going down these other tools to say, well, how do we make the default behavior the one that's most likely to be successful? Right. And, and, and easiest to do because we, it hasn't always been that way. Right. We have had some very challenging things. And, it, you know, I, and I came into this conversation thinking, so Rosalind, you'll be done with C Sharp then, right? You'll be finished. But it doesn't sound like that's even close to true. I don't think, I don't think we'll be finished with C Sharp anytime soon. Right. There, so once we come out with the first burst of Rosslyn, so to speak. There'll mm -hmm. be new language features. There'll be all this new infrastructure that people are going to start to use. Yeah, it feels like there'll be an explosion. It's a Cambrian explosion. You've yes. now enabled a whole lot of that, creation. That's the hope. So yeah. hopefully we can come out with that effect of a whole lot of things going on. And I'm sure that we'll learn all kinds of things from that that we can then take and apply to the next level. And, um, you know... So you don't actually know what the next level of thinking was going to not be. Not really. If you, if you think about metaprogramming, for instance, yeah. we, we kind of want to encourage safe and useful metaprogramming. Mm -hmm. But we're not sure what that looks like because right. nobody's really done it with the Rosslyn platform yet. So once, you know, the Wild West has happened for a couple of years, right. so maybe we'll be able to look at it and say, oh, this is a really common mistake. Oh, that's a really nifty pattern, but it's too hard to do yeah. or whatever. And we can bring that back and, and roll the innovation forward yeah, What's at that sifting level? to the surface? You know, nobody could predict the dominant species in the Cambrian explosion. You actually had to let the explosion run for a while yes. <laughs> and see who was climbing to the top of the stack. It's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it is. So, we, so we'll just have to let it loose and see what happens and... and um, we may even we have already been discussing whether there are language level features that would facilitate good metaprogramming, mm -hmm. but um, but we kind of we're holding back on making assumptions and putting something in because right. we really want to see if what we're thinking is the right thing. You want to be influenced, yes, before exactly. you go out. Exactly, we want to have a a strong communication loop with right. people out there. Using. So C sharp six isn't just all about Rosalind. There's language features that uh, you know we're we're pro some pro we probably haven't heard of. Is there anything uh, that you want to on any beans you want to spill there? Um, well, there are a few interesting things. Um, 
like I mentioned the primary constructors already right. earlier. Um, and we're thinking about some, some other quirky things, um, little fixes like allowing getter-only auto properties and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. One that's a, maybe a surprise to many is um, exception filters. So okay. exception filters is a feature that is in the CLR, it's in Visual Basic, and it's in F-sharp. It's everywhere but C-sharp. Oh, really? Okay? And it lets you specify conditions on catch blocks. Right. And, and those conditions get run before the stack gets unwound. So you can kind of use or abuse that feature in many ways that you can imagine about doing fancy, st fancy stuff like logging. Like you can have exception filters that just log that the exception came past here, but they never actually... They never they, they never catch. true. So they never yeah. catch. And you right. can do weird stuff like that. And it turns out that for like post-mortem debugging and stuff like that, that is really important. Yeah. And in C-sharp, we've always resisted exception filters because they didn't... They didn't really make sense as a language feature, we hmm. felt. They were sort of just weird, uh, sort of a surfacing of the underlying platform, yada, yada, yada. So we've been purist about it. And you, could, you just couldn't present it in a way that made it feel right in the language? We could easily give it syntax. It's just yeah. that it, we felt too purist about... I mean, you can just... Why can't you just ask those questions in the catch block? Why do you need right. a separate feature for that? All right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. sure, okay. And what happened was that people who needed exception filters would go to unnatural lengths... Like they would call into a VB library and pass it lambdas, which is really expensive, huh. or they would rewrite the IL after we generated it from C sharp, or all kinds I don't of crazy things. Because they why. really, 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 they really need wanted it, and they were going to use it. By golly, most people never need them, but when they need them, they really, really need them. <laughs> and we've been discussing this for every single release. And mm -hmm. in a design meeting this summer, we were like looking at this again. Sounds and we, like an AOP and now feature. Roslyn was in that same boat of really needing exception filters, really? and they couldn't get them. And so we were, we were in that room and we were looking at exception filters and Anders was so exasperated about this, looking at this feature again, like for <laughs> the nth time. And he said, let's just do whatever we have to so that we'll never have to discuss this again ever in the C-sharp design Oh, that's wow. awesome. We're like, okay, let's do the feature then. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, one way. And we, and we but honestly, we decided to do the you're feature. still going to have to talk about it after that because now you have to... Update it and maintain so, it. And what are people complaining about? So he basically was, because of this very vocal person or persons that wanted this feature, just he just wanted to be, I can imagine, you know, like a, the, the Danish flying out of his mouth, you know, just. It, like, it, it is, it, it wasn't even in Danish, but it was kind of, sounded like Danish maybe. <laughs> but I think it's the first time I've seen him like worn down oh, wow. to where he wow. just said, you know. Screw it. Let's, let's do it. Let's just Fine. Do Just it. never bother me with it again. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of a fun <laughs> moment. It, it's like you've, you've committed to having a child now. It's never going away. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody left that meeting feeling, did that really happen? Did we wow. really put exception filters in after all these after years? After all this time. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, at least it's the plan that they will be in. the. In but wow. it, it sounds like an aspect-oriented programming issue to me. Like, you know, couldn't, you, couldn't this person have used an AOP library to do that sort of under the covers? Oh, sure. Because uh, that's and you, you get into IL manipulation. But, yeah, AOP, again, that's IL manipulation. That's a version yeah. of IL manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Sure, they could. But, again, it's like, do we want people to go through hoops and use AOP libraries and all that kind of stuff? I don't see what the this? hoop is. I mean, that, to me, is a simple, elegant solution. Uh, I think you're 
I think you were uh, too advanced here. I don't know. <laughs> I think you've been doing this for too long. Maybe. You're just not afraid of anything anymore, Mr. Franklin. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I just need the fear. Yeah. I need to have you're some not, fear. You're not properly afraid anymore. <laughs> you're just going to go off and yeah. do stuff. Next thing you know, things will happen, and nothing good can come of that. <laughs> Got to put the yeah, fear of Anders that's, in That's in. the problem. I that's don't it. have enough Anders fear. doesn't like this. <laughs> yes. You shouldn't like it either. <laughs> <laughs> It must be a blast to work with, you know, these people. You guys have worked together Anders. for a long time. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So since I joined Microsoft, okay. we've been working together. That is, it's coincidental. You're both Danish. It is completely coincidental. Okay, but wow. it's fun sometimes. Yes. It's not like you were both working together in Denmark and nope. You know, you... nope. Never knew each other before I joined. Wow. Microsoft. Do you ever like do the really kind of weird thing of just speaking danish to each other in meetings so that nobody else can understand no we actually don't we are we're very polite about it we will we do speak danish together but if we're walking down the hallway like even if we're close to people who yeah. might be interested in the conversation we'll switch you over flipped to english. english yeah we're very which polite I, about it which by the way is kind of a spooky effect dude like i've seen <laughs> other folks do that like yeah talking in, in another language got close to me switched to english and then as they went out of my earshot switch back right it's a it's a difficult you know, it's a difficult thing. Like, if you don't do it, it's sort of rude. Yes. If you do it, you're sort of suggesting yeah. to the people that they you should, should be involved in this. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's embarrassing either way. <laughs> I, I had a friend who uh, was riding the Eurail train and write, wrote a long letter and switched to the language of the country he was in as he went. Oh, wow. So it's like it was a four-language letter, which I couldn't read. <laughs> it's like, no, when he, was, when he was in France, he was writing in French. And when he passed through Germany, he switched to German. That's funny. what being translated is there for. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I have a Google Glass now, and it has real-time translation, too. I can just look at the document. It'll tell me what it is. Okay. So that, there you go. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's pretty gadgety. All right. It is. It is. There are solutions to these problems. It's not a normal thing. So what's the next thing on your to-do list? Uh, you mean short term or? Yeah, sure. Um, well, other than going up to Cambridge tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> um, and giving my talk here on Friday, mm -hmm. um, it's back to really crisping up the list of features to put in C Sharp 6, specking them out, deciding which ones to prototype first, and then uh, working on when we can get uh, public CTP and get right. things out there. Um, so you think one more CTP before the a major ship? Um, at least one. Yeah. Um, my ideal situation, and I can in no way promise this, but in my ideal situation, when we decide that things are stable enough and good enough that we can get uh, great feedback, I would love to trickle out CTPs frequently. Oh, I see. Take feedback, push it in. Uh, we would uh, an ideal situation be you put out a CTP, we all love it, and then you can just ship it. That'd be awesome. Uh, that would be ideal, but you aren't going to love it no. until it's been through a few iterations. Yes. So, so let's it, just be realistic about it. Yeah. Let's use no, and I appreciate the idea that you don't know. You're going to see what right. the feedback is and decide, does it make sense to do another one? Yes, it's part of a conversation more than a statement of this is what yeah. we want to do. You that's, don't, that's you can't, you don't have it. a plan because you won't survive contact with reality. We yeah. do have a plan, yeah. but we would like to have it corrected by reality. Yes, I like that. Well put. That's a good answer. That's a good note to end on. Thanks, Mads. I think so, too. Thank you. It's Lots been a great pleasure talking to you. It was awesome. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.